the Practical Family Podcast with Jennifer Bryant, encouraging your family to build strong foundations and healthy homes. Hello, hello. I'm so excited to have you back here on the Practical Family Podcast. It's been a busy summer for us. We just got back from vacationing in California for three weeks. My kids did all the crazy, crazy amusement park rides that mom would never go on. So they're getting bigger. I'm getting older much too old for rides, and uh, I'm uh, glad to be back on the ground again and back here serving you at Practical Family. We're starting a new school year. I don't know about you, but the back-to-school shopping was not as hard this year because you know what? The kids helped with it. The kids, I find as they get older, they need less stuff. Like we've, so far we've stocked up on all kinds of, you know, crayons and markers and, and consumable paper and all of that, so I don't feel the need so much to to keep buying that stuff as much as like focusing on the worksheets that will actually help them to learn their math skills. I've actually created a fun worksheet called Multiplication Practice. So if you go to the Practical Family Community page on uh, Facebook, you'll be able to take advantage of fun resources like that and stuff for the new school year. So as we start planning for the new school year, I know that you might either be really overwhelmed by, do I have enough stuff? Am I ready? Am I really, really, really ready before co-op starts or before I have to send them to school? I tell you what, I just finished doing my calendar for both the kids. So I have one kid in homeschool, one kid in regular school, and so I have to juggle two different calendars. Well, thank God for Google calendar and my ability to color code on there because I would be lost without that. I just spent my entire Sunday afternoon inputting all of the events for the whole school year so I don't have to go back to it again. So think about that. If you have not made use of Google Calendar yet, I know it's a digital option that I prefer to use because I can access it on my phone, but whether you do that or whether you have a paper calendar, try to get that done as soon as possible so that you're not running around like a chicken once stuff starts to happen for the school year so that you don't miss out on those important events or, or practical family listener, or to protect against overscheduling yourself for things that don't need to be on your calendar. So get that done, get that inputted, and uh, join us over at the Practical Family Community where we've got lots of cool stuff coming up for this school year for you. So let's get into this episode. Before I begin to introduce our guest, I have a disclaimer. So listen closely. You may want to send your young ones out of the room while you listen to this episode because we're talking about a kind of a sensitive subject today. You've probably seen the title already since you've clicked on this episode, or maybe you're just binge listening, which is always a good idea for the Practical Family Podcast. Episode 68 today is called Real Talk for Moms on Purity and Intimacy. That's right. We are talking about the S-E-X word. We're going to be addressing issues today regarding intimacy in marriage, just bringing different things to light regarding our relationships with our husbands, as well as how to go about teaching purity, virginity, things like that to our sons and daughters. 
Sheila Ray Gregoire is our special guest today, and I am so excited to finally get to interview her. She was an absolute delight to talk to, and she is so open. You'll, you'll hear it in her voice when we talk. She is such an incredibly open speaker when it comes to these topics, and we need more women who are willing to do this. So I thought a while ago, should I have a sex blogger come on to the podcast? I asked my husband about a year ago, and he looked at me like, why? (laughs) And I finally realized we are talking about more and more things related to teens growing up. I know my own kids are becoming preteens soon. We're having those hygiene discussions. We're having those special feelings discussions. And so I thought it would be a good idea to address it here on Practical Family in case you have ever wondered about this stuff or in case you want to look deeper into it or in case you need that open door to just hear what other women are going through regarding their own um, issues with intimacy and marriage. I know a lot of uh, women really struggle with this issue because either they've been raised in sort of a hush-hush environment growing up or they never really had someone who's open enough to talk about it. Well, let's be open today and listen in on my conversation with Sheila Ray Gregoire. Sheila has already written seven award-winning books and counting. She did not actually set out to be a sex blogger. It just kind of happened because she's willing to talk about it. So join me today as we welcome Sheila Ray Guaguar to the Practical Family Podcast and have real talk for moms on purity and intimacy. Welcome to the Practical Family Podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. Yes, it's great to be here. Well, I have followed you for a couple of years now, here and there, and hearing hearing your name in different circles is related to to marriage relationships. And today's topic is going to be a little little more, um, I don't know, shall I say uh, intimate than other marriage topics that we've talked about. (laughs) So it'll be more fun too then. Yeah. <laughs> Way more fun. I honestly, I cannot wait to bring up the topic of uh, sex and intimacy in marriage because it's something that not a lot of us feel comfortable talking about unless we're comfortable with the people in the room, right? Right. Yeah. And, and yet we need to talk about it because if we don't, then we just create a vacuum and then a whole lot of other bad information comes in. So it's much better to have this conversation now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Amen. Well, I, I want to ask you first, you, you didn't originally set out to be a sex blogger, did you? Not at all. No. And it's kind of ironic because sex was one of the worst parts of our marriage when we first got married. Like it was, I felt like he wanted it all the time, which meant that he only wanted me for what I could do for him. And he didn't really love me. Now that wasn't true, but that was how I felt at the time. And, you know, sex didn't feel very good. It was awkward. It hurt. And it was just a whole big mess. And it became one of the biggest sources of tension in our marriage. But, you know, we, sl- we slowly started getting out of that. And I'm one of these really open people. I'll talk about anything. And so when I started writing about marriage and parenting, I started doing some TV shows and some marriage conferences. And we always got stuck with the sex topic because nobody else wanted to do it. <laughs> so... So here I am talking about sex and my husband's a doctor, so he'll talk about anything too. So, <laughs> so we always get stuck talking about the sex things. And then um, when I started writing more books, that's kind of the direction I got pushed in because there just was this vacuum. And since I'll talk about anything, I just entered it. So yeah, it wasn't something that was intentional at all. <laughs> 
Well, we all thank you for your obedience because you ended up publishing a very great book. Well, it's it's a highly rated book now, especially on Amazon, but it's called The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. And you yeah. thought bad yeah. girls have all the fun. <laughs> Yeah. Let's address that then. What is, and I'm so sick of seeing in our culture through TV shows or whatever, this myth that sex is supposed to disappear after you get married or it's not as good. It's not exciting. Like, ugh, that's so not true. No, absolutely. In fact, one of the really interesting things I discovered when I did my surveys for the books, I surveyed like several thousand women and the best years for sex in marriage are actually 16 to 24. So that's when, you know, women start responding better. Sex becomes really pleasurable. All that it's years 16 to 24 and, and married people do tend to have better sex than single people. So we have this myth that the people having the best sex are those in their twenties who are single and who are playing the field, but it's actually someone who's, you know, 40 or 45 or even 49. And they've been married for a decade and a half at least. And the kids are sleeping through the night and they're just really comfortable with each other. And that's when sex tends to work really well. Mm, yes, you know, and I find that true of us too, without revealing too much. No, I can attest to the fact that our sex life has gotten better. We've been married 13 years, but yeah, it has so much to do with the familiarity, the comfort. I found that I was able to be more open when I just stopped caring about, oh, do, do I look a certain way or, or he wants this or when we don't communicate about what we need, it became way more open when we started talking about, well, what do you like? What do you like? And how can we get there together? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, it's, those are it's difficult good. conversations to have. A lot of people mm -hmm. have a really difficult time talking about that. But yeah, the more comfortable you get with each other, the more you can really look at some of these things. And and the other issue is often when people get married, they don't know what they like. So how can you even communicate that? Because you're really not sure. <laughs> and and things are also new, even for people that aren't virgins when they get married. You know, sex changes when you're married because it takes on a whole new emotional meaning now. And so, you know, people will find that things are different and they don't know how to communicate that. So it takes a while to get comfortable. Right. Now, how do you think our culture has made sex shallow? Well, I mean, what I say in The Good Girl's Guide is that God made sex to be intimate in three ways. So it's supposed to be physically intimate, emotionally intimate, and spiritually intimate all at the same time. And that's what makes it really good. But what our culture does is it takes sex outside of a committed marriage relationship. And as soon as you do that, then sex isn't about love. It isn't about intimacy because you can't have real intimacy with someone that you're not committed to, that you can't really trust. And then all you have left is the body. And so it becomes a totally physical thing. And the interesting thing is that, especially for women, the physical actually feels better. Like we respond better physically when the emotional and spiritual connection is there at the highest. So, you know, it's not, it's not like we get so holy that sex is all about just feeling close and the physical doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that as you grow closer and you really grow intimate, the physical kicks in way better. <laughs> so, it, you know, it all goes together. And our culture has lost a lot of that when they make sex only about the body. And then you really lose out on what it's meant to be. And dare I say, ladies, mamas who are listening, I mean, if you feel like you need to calm down, do a good Netflix binge, and all you're putting into your mind is this tawdry 
vision of what a relationship is supposed to be or look or feel like. And those things are sort of stimulating our brain and our senses. And then we take that to the bedroom and our husband totally fails all of those Hollywood visuals. I mean, I've got to get real with myself about, okay, what is this encouraging in me as a woman? Because it's one thing to like keep your kids away from, you know, sex scenes and movies and stuff, but that stuff still affects us, doesn't it? I mean, it does. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we often think that pornography is the issue and it is a huge issue. Maybe we'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, erotica is also a huge issue for women. And when we read stuff or when we watch, you know, these almost soft core things, (laughs) it does impact our thought life. And then when you're with your husband, you have to go to those fantasies in order to respond sexually. And that's not intimate at all. That actually breaks intimacy. Mm, That's so good to know. And this is probably something that you've addressed in your book as well, Sheila, but let's go to kind of the, the church girls or, or the good girls. And specifically we're talking about church girls because we're talking to mostly Christian women right now. When the church girl feels dirty about having a great sex life, where do you think those misconceptions and images have come from and how can she reframe that in her own marriage and have it actually be godly? Yeah, well, I think a lot of the messages that we grew up with in the church, and especially in, you know, really conservative church girl situations are things like stay pure until you're married. You know, we hear that all the time, stay pure until you're married. I have so many problems with that phrase. So let me unpack some of it. First of all, the word until. If you tell someone stay pure until you're married, you are implying that as soon as you're married, you're not pure. So it's like sex is what takes away purity. And that is so wrong (laughs) because sex in marriage does not make you impure. What we're really giving girls the impression of is like the 14-year-old virginal girl is the pinnacle of success and it's all downhill from there. That's really what we're telling these girls. And so we need to stop. A much better message is just stay pure. And then just stop, just stay pure because married people can be pure (laughs) and our purity isn't based on what we do with our bodies. Our purity is only based on what Jesus did with his. And when we start equating all of these weird things with purity, we get a very distorted message about sex. And we, we make girls feel like as soon as I have sex, I have lost something because we tell them to guard their purity. And what we really mean by that is guard your virginity as if your virginity is something very precious. And then as soon as you've lost your virginity, you've lost this wonderful thing. And that should never be what we're telling our girls. First of all, we're equating purity in a sexual way. The Bible doesn't talk about purity as something about sex. The Bible talks about purity as something about sin. And I know a ton of virgins who are not pure and a ton of single people who are not virgins who are pure. (laughs) Because purity is not about virginity. Purity purity is about our relationship with sin and whether or not Jesus is the Lord of our life. And when Jesus is the Lord of your life, you are pure. And, you know, it's like chastity is the word that really means, um, you know, sexual uh, obedience. (laughs) And maybe we need to bring back, I don't know, I just think we need a different word other than purity because we've messed that word up so much. So maybe we need to bring back chastity. I don't know. But what I like about chastity instead of virginity is that you can be married and have an amazing sex life and have sex feel wonderful and still be chaste. 
Because chaste is not about not having sex. Chaste is about having sex within boundaries, within the proper boundaries. And that's what we need to give people the idea of, is like, it's just about boundaries. It's not about sex in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And we've been telling we've been telling kids this message. And when you combine it with a lot of other really shameful messages that girls hear, you know, things like don't be a stumbling block. And so watch how you dress because you don't want to be a stumbling block. You don't want to make your brothers lust and you need to be good to your brothers in Christ. Well, you know, then any girl who's developing breasts is going to feel like her body is shameful. And that is just so wrong. It's interesting. If you look at, at the Bible passages where the stumbling block passage is used, to tell a girl, don't be a stumbling block, if you look at, at some of what Paul says in Romans, he's using that argument with regards to the weaker brother and not causing the weaker brother to lose faith. But if we are always telling girls, don't be a stumbling block for the men around you, the girl may be the one with the weaker faith. And we may actually be weakening her faith. Like I had my girls when they were both, my girls are 21 and 24 now, but when they were on praise teams, uh, when they were teenagers, you know, they were told you need to watch what you wear and you need to be careful not to wear skirts because the men in the front rows might look up your skirt and you might become a stumbling block for them to tell a 15 year old girl that the elders in the front row might be lusting after them is to weaken the girl's faith. And that is a total misuse of the don't be a stumbling block thing. That is on the adult men. It is not on the girls. I think we should just simply teach girls to to dress with respect. You know, look Mm -hmm. like you respect yourself, look like you respect God. And that's as far as it should go. We should not be telling them that they are responsible for boys' sin. Because Mm -hmm. that's where it gets really messy. And there's all kinds of shameful messages that build up then. Interesting. Wow. Thank you, Sheila. That that leads into another series that I'm actually going to be doing soon about mamas teaching their young girls, starting with things like hygiene, but also body image and also, you know, how to care for yourself and how to be aware of yourself. I'm so glad that we're talking about this now because of how purity culture has impacted us, all of us who are moms. We grew up in the, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, maybe. And mm-hmm we were told back then. So we have to kind of be aware of what church culture has kind of how that's impacted our thinking and what's culture, what's tradition and what's actually biblical. So I'm glad that, that you're bringing this up now. That's awesome. So important. Back to the motherhood stage of life that we find ourselves in, because this podcast mostly addresses moms, homeschooling moms. We Tired mothers. We're tired. tired mothers. Let's, just say, let's just say it how it is. We're, we're t- I'm getting tired thinking about how tired I am sometimes. <laughs> when, when we've chosen to live um, a lifestyle of homeschooling our kids, and a lot of mamas out there have, have larger families, and larger I know is relative, but I have two kids. We have three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, even children um, in our family Uh, wonderful family dynamics going on, a lot of things that we're all learning at the same time. But at the end of the day, if mama's not finding time for herself, let alone time for she and her husband, how that affects our family can be really negative and affect to give our kids everything that they need. Let's talk about how to make time for our husband when we're in that situation. Because I think often our husbands get the leftovers. Hmm. And that's not really good because there's actually very little left over. <laughs> and so we have to work backwards and, and really prioritize certain things. 
One thing, I homeschooled my girls too, right through high school. So they were home with me the whole time. And um, one of the things that I realized, I don't know, probably when they were around junior high age is I would spend days where I was so down on myself because we got nothing done today you know, man, I got nothing done. Like I didn't finish the lesson plans. I got nothing done. And this would go on day after day after day. And I got nothing done. I got nothing done. And then the amazing thing was you would get to the end of the year and you would realize how much you got done. And I could never figure out how I got all that stuff done when every day I got nothing done. <laughs> and so I think you need to, we need to stop looking at the individual day and look at it in the long term that you actually are getting quite a bit done. You know, and sometimes our, our goals for today are too high and we need to look at it in the longer term because it's very easy to get down on yourself. I didn't meet all my goals today. We didn't get everything done. And you see the stuff you didn't get done as opposed to all the stuff that you did. So take the long-term view, okay? But if we are going to take the long-term view, let's take an even bigger long-term view and think about what is it that we want our kids to really know. And as homeschoolers, we often focus on you know, math and grammar and spelling and writing paragraphs and eventually being able to do a research essay and science and all of those things are important. We think about subjects, but the thing that you really want your kids to know, I, you know, I, I would say three things really, are they need to have a good relationship with God, <laughs> They need to have life skills so they can support themselves and they need to have emotional IQ, you know, that ability to get along in relationship and to value relationship. And those are the three things that they need even more than any of the subject matters. I'm not sure saying the subjects don't matter, but those are the three things they really need. And they are not going to have that emotional IQ if you are not getting along really well with your husband because you are the best, um, yeah, you're the best model that they see. You're, you're the main model they see of a healthy marriage. So, and, and of healthy self-care. And I think if moms are not taking time for themselves, that's really dangerous too. So, you know, you need to go back to basics and you need to just say, all right, look, I need at least an hour a day by myself. <laughs> I do. I just need an hour a day by myself and then figure out where that's going to come from. Maybe it means that you get super organized with chores so that you're not doing them all the time. I don't know what it means for you, but realize that that's what you need. And then you also need time with your husband. You need time to be mentally there. And, and the funny thing about, about sex is that we women don't understand how libido works, right? Like we think that when you're watching TV, movie, whatever it is, you know, the couple is panting and then they kiss and then the clothes come off and they end up in bed. And so that's what we start to think that sex is, right? That you pant and then you kiss and then you end up in bed. And then you're at home and you never pant. And so you figure, well, I'm just not interested. But actually research studies have shown that for men, that is the way it goes. Okay. For men, they, they honestly are aroused before they start to make love. But for most women, we're not. Like, we're not panting. We're not aroused. But that doesn't mean we don't get there. It's that when you decide that you're going to make love, when you jump in, and when you have a positive attitude about it, your body usually follows. But it doesn't often feel it beforehand. And that means the only way that your body is going to feel aroused is if we give ourselves positive messages. Like, you need to be telling yourself throughout the day, I want to do this tonight. I want to feel amazing. I want to be close to my husband. I deserve this because I've been with kids all day. And give yourself those positive messages so that you're ready to jump in. Don't just wait to pant because it isn't going to happen. And a lot of us are waiting and you're too busy. It's only going to happen if you make that, that decision. Hmm. 
that's awesome. A major misconception there is that we're already supposed to be into it by the time <laughs> the act actually happens. I, I yeah. testify, I have actually prayed, Lord, please help me to get into this right now <laughs> because husband's there, he's ready. I, I go through all these scenarios in my head like, like, does this mean I'm not ready? Does this mean I need to say no? Does this mean I'm feeling pressured to do it just because he's ready? Every time I went to the defensive, it killed the connection between he and I. And once yeah. I started asking God, Lord, help me to get there. And you know what? I sleep better every time I decide to do it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you sleep you know? so much better. But I think it's really important when we get, when we ask God that don't like, we need to ask Lord, help me to be able to love my husband right now. That's mm -hmm. not the right question because we do that to ourselves. We make it into an obligation thing. Like this is something for him. So help me to be able to do this for him. No. Okay. Like, yes, obviously you want to be able to do it for you. But the bigger thing that women need to understand is this is for you. <laughs> like God created this for you. This is not something for men where we're just along for the ride and we primarily do it for them. No, this is for you. And you know, if sex has never felt that great, because for a lot of women, it doesn't, you know, make this into the best research project you've ever done. You're, you're homeschoolers. You're good at doing research projects. Like <laughs> you know, figure this out because this is a really important thing that God made for you. And if you haven't discovered how to make it feel good yet, and a lot of women have it, okay. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with you if you have it, but that doesn't mean you can't. And so, you know, learn about this. Um, I've got a great, it, I talk so much about this in the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, but there's, a, there's also a really cool book I've got called 31 Days to Great Sex, which is a challenge that you do with your husbands where you can start figuring out what makes you feel good. And so I'd encourage you all to check that out too, because that's important. Oh, yes. Resources. We're all about the resources. <laughs> we start picking them, them up for ourselves, moms, instead of just yeah. educational stuff for our kids. What great resources. Thank you. And very, very, very practical things. And, and even if sex is something that you've never thought about before that, you know, applying it directly in this way and just kind of like waiting for it to naturally happen, or we only do it like once a month or, you know, and that too, the, the frequency thing, can you, can you help us to understand? I mean, not just, not like what is normal, but like, what are, what are women expecting in terms of, of that, mm -hmm. of frequency? Yeah, I mean, when I did my surveys, what I found was that 40, I think it was 42.7% of women said that they made love less than once a, once a week. And, you know, that's a lot that are less than once a week. And I think that in a marriage, especially when you're still fairly young, you know, in your 20s, 30s, 40s, that, that could be a problem. Now, it's different if your husband is on shift work or if he's a trucker and he's gone five, you know, it's those things obviously play a role. But I, again, I don't want to make this a bit obligation, okay, because I, I don't think that's a positive message, and I think that that's a lot of the things that women hear, you know, guys need it every three days or they're going to explode, so you need to, you know, give it to them. That's not sexy. I wish people would stop saying that because that's just not sexy for women at all. I think what we need to be telling women again is that this is something which is for you, and it, it feels wonderful. It feels good. It makes you feel close to your husband. It makes you feel loved. <laughs> you know, you're going to feel a lot more affectionate towards him. He's going to feel more affectionate towards you. It helps you sleep. So why wouldn't you do it? And if in your marriage, you never want to, you never feel like it, you never have enough energy, that is a sign there's something off in your life that needs to be addressed. And maybe it's that in your marriage, you don't feel close to your husband. I mean, it's really hard to want to make love to someone you don't really like. 
Okay, <laughs> for sure. And so maybe that's something that you need to address first. Like, how can I feel closer to my husband? How can we grow our friendship? You know, all of that sort of thing. But, you know, if sex really has become infrequent, then it's time to say, okay, maybe there's something really off in my life. And what, what do I need to address to make this be something that I want more? And different people are going to need to address different things. And of course, you know, we, there's also, you know, there's also people for whom sex is just really difficult. I mean, when I was first married, it was actually painful. And if it's painful for you, especially for some women, it's painful right off the bat. For other women, the pain starts after childbirth and they don't know what to do about it. You know, see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. They're really, really good. They can help you so much. Um, or sometimes if you've had a lot of kids, you lose a lot of sensation. Again, a pelvic floor physiotherapist can really help with that. So that's very important. And then there's people where sex is, is just really difficult because of a lot of issues that we've got. You know, very good issues. Like if you've been abused or assaulted in the past, if, if you grew up in a really shame-based family, now you've got to address those things because God did not mean for you to feel stuck. He really didn't. And a lot of us have been so wounded. Um, this is an area where it's really easy to get wounded because it's so close to our identity and so close to our hearts. You know, it is very fragile, but, you know, please seek out some help. Talk to a licensed counselor. Um, go see a trauma specialist. There are people that can help you because you don't need to live like this. You really don't. Mm, thank you. Thank you, Sheila, for that permission. Even I think a lot of women out there need, need that clarity. And that's what my prayer will be too for our listeners, that if sex has ever become a point of huge contention and, and hurt and pain and emotional upheaval, it doesn't have to be. And I'm so grateful for women like you, Christian women, who are willing to speak to that faith culture that's got the mixed messages over the years, including purity culture, including all the shame culture that's happening right now. So what, what is it supposed to be? Would you leave our listeners with that encouragement today on what sex is supposed to be like? Yeah, it's supposed to be oneness. You know, like mm -hmm. I love in the King James Version, um, in Genesis 4, verse 1, it says, Adam knew his wife Eve, and they conceived unto them a son. And we can read that verse and just laugh at it, because it sounds like God is just using an innuendo, or he's embarrassed of using the real words. But actually, the Hebrew word there for to know is this deep, intimate longing to be totally connected. And, and that's what sex is supposed to be, this total connection on every level. Um, that's what God created it for. It's supposed to energize us. It's supposed to help us feel close. It's supposed to provide that kind of foundation so that when we know that everything is okay on this level, then everything's going to be okay in our marriage take on the world. And so, you know, it's okay to spend some time trying to figure this stuff out. And if you just are not feeling like you're one, I mean, if there's, if there's some emotional abuse issues going on, if there's, uh, or, or physical abuse issues going on, if there um, is pornography going on, you know, address that stuff. Be real about that stuff because it isn't going to get better on its own. And God calls us to live this abundant life in freedom and that abundant life can really only happen when we live in truth. And a lot of us are not living in truth, either because we're believing shame, the shameful lies we've heard, or because we're ignoring some pretty deep stuff in our marriage. 
And so don't ignore the shame, believe truth instead, but also confront the big issues because that's the only way to live the abundant life. So don't be scared, <laughs> take it on full steam ahead. <laughs> and I really think when we do that, God is gonna take us to the place where we're gonna be able to experience life in the fullness that God intended. You've been listening to the Practical Family Podcast with our special guest, Sheila Ray Gregoire, author of several award-winning books, including The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, and You Thought Bad Girls Have All the Fun. Another one called To Love, Honor, and Vacuum When You Feel More Like a Maid Than a Wife and a Mother. Be sure to check out her honeymoon course. It's a link in our show notes. And also take a look at the course that she and her daughters have written together called The Whole Story. She has access to that for both girls and boys. And you can access that at her website at SheilaRayGregoire.com. Thank you again for listening to the Practical Family Podcast. If this episode has blessed you or inspired you or opened up your mind in a whole new way, please feel free to share it with a friend. Go ahead and copy the link or just give them the name of this podcast, the Practical Family Podcast. If you've been a regular listener, you can also go to iTunes and rate us. It would so help if you gave us a rating in iTunes because the more ratings we have, the more people that iTunes will show. Well, as the school year gets going, I pray that you have a blessed time with your family. And as always, thank you for listening. This has been Jennifer Bryant with the Practical Family Podcast where we are encouraging you and families like yours to build strong foundations and healthy homes. Yeah.